Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. Damning evidence pouring from the witness stand in the trial of cult mom Lori Vallow. The jury has just heard a very disturbing phone call where husband number, what is it, Jackie, number four or five? I, I'm just going to go with four. Husband number four, the prophet, Chad Daybell, is speaking to Lori Vallow as authorities frantically search his farm and are honing in on a so-called pet cemetery, looking desperately for the remains of little seven-year-old J.J. and teen sister Tylee. And you hear him in a tapped phone call talking to cult mom, saying, I'm feeling pretty calm. Well, I bet they're not calm right now. I'm Nancy Grace. This is Crime Stories. Thank you for being with us here at Fox Nation and Sirius XM 111. Jackie, I'd like to start off with those calls. Now listen, they're very uh, grainy. So listen to Chad Daybell speaking to Lori Vallow. So they're searching the property. The house right now? Yeah. Yeah. I'm gonna Mark means we'll be talking to you. Well, are they in the house? No, they're out in the property. Are they feeding stuff again? They're searching. There's a search warrant and so Okay, I've got to bring in our experts. And, and first, uh, I, I'm going to just go to them individually. First, I want to go to journalist and author of When the Moon Turns to Blood, Lori Vallow, Chad Daybell, and a Story of Murder, Wild Fate, and End Times. Uh, the Star of Podcast. Two minutes past nine and Bundyville. Leah Satilli is joining us. She's been on this story from the very beginning. And remember, it's not a story. I misspoke. This is real. You couldn't make this up. Uh, Leah, you know, if my husband, David, called me and said, police are searching the property. I'd say, what? Why are police searching our property? Well, I'm, I'm on the way right now. These two didn't seem at all concerned. Hey, Leah Satilli, have you ever seen cops? You know, isn't that the name of it? Bad boys, bad boys. Yeah, that. And there'll be a guy sitting in his, his easy chair in the den having a beer. And all of a sudden, cops start running through, pursuant to search warrant, of course. And he just keeps drinking the beer. It's nothing new to him. Cops have been in his house searching many, many times, obviously. So he just sits there and keeps watching TV. It's like these two. Nobody seems surprised that the cops are there tearing up his property. Yeah, I think that, you know, it's, it's, it's a sobering phone call in the way that this case, the entire case is sobering at the lack of urgency that Chad and Lori had at all the seeming emergencies that the rest of us can recognize were happening around them. And, and you hear in this phone call, Chad 
and Lori picking their words very carefully. It makes me think, you know, at that point, Lori was in jail and this phone call was, they maybe knew this phone call was being recorded. They're being very careful about what they're saying. But yeah, I mean, I agree with you. If somebody said they were searching the property, you'd think, well, for what? So there's there's a profound lack of um, of uh, panic in, in Lori Vallow's voice. That's a really good way to put it, a profound lack of panic. You know, I want to go to Rich Robertson, Arizona-based private investigator for Brandon Boudreaux and the grandparents, owner of R3 Investigations. Rich Robertson, do you hear their voices? You know what, Rich, hold on. Let me play call number two. I've got more. Listen. Okay. Do you want me to pray? Uh, yeah, pray. What about it, Rich Robertson? Well, I agree with Leah. The, the, the lack of urgency in both of them, I think, is, is because they both know that this is a recorded phone call from Lori being in jail. Uh, so they're using somewhat coded language uh, between the two of them. But I think what struck me the most was uh, how uncharismatic uh, Chad Daybell sounds to me. Just He uh, just kind of comes across as a dim bulb. You know, I'm just uh, uh, trying to take in the sound of their voices. This is exactly what the jury is hearing. I've got one more call. Let's take a listen. Can I brings me to the question, was it all worth it? Was it all worth it to have your sham marriage so you could, what, sleep with Lori Vallow, the cult mom? Was it worth it? And the backdrop to hearing this calm phone conversation is that her two children are missing. Of course, now we know dead in Chad Daybell's backyard. Right now, the jury is hearing evidence. The cases have been severed. In other words, Daybell and Lori Vallow's cases are going to be tried separately. Don't know if this jury's ever going to even see Chad Daybell. 
That said, Lori Vallow is taking the plunge first. That's her doing because she filed a demand for speedy trial, which she never withdrew. And that is why her case is going now. Leah Satilli joining us, a uh, well-known journalist and author. Leah, what is her cult mom Lori Vallow's demeanor in court? You know, it's, it's, it's been two things. For the most part, when she gets there in the morning, she's smiling she's kind of flipping her hair um sort of giggling as the uh officers that bring her in chain her feet to the floor and uh, and and kind of you know participate in this process of, of shackling her but when there it, it changed dramatically when we saw the photos of jj and tylee um the autopsy photos they were absolutely harrowing she did not want to be in the courtroom and all of a sudden she changed, she crossed her arms, she turned her body away. So no one in the courtroom, probably besides the judge could see her face. And uh, slowly she kind of crumpled onto one arm and it looked to me, I couldn't see her face, but it did look to me like she fell asleep. Fell asleep? Was she just closing her eyes or did she actually fall asleep? Hard to know. I couldn't see her face, but she was very still and sitting in the same position for quite a while, uh, probably 20, 30 minutes or more. So, um, yeah, hard to know. But it was pretty profound that when she didn't get her way to leave the courtroom, that she, uh, you know, the, the, the whispering, the talking, the, the smiling at her attorneys stopped completely. And she she just sort of folded into herself in her chair. Now, when you said she wanted to leave the courtroom, I thought you meant she acted like she wanted to leave. Are you saying she made an official request to leave the courtroom during the trial? She did, yes. So in the morning, we were hearing from Detective Ray Hermosillo with the Rexburg Police Department, who discovered, was one of the officers that discovered the bodies of the children on Chad Daybell's property. And it was pretty clear what we were leading up to. We were going to see a presentation of photos of, of those bodies. The judge broke for lunch. Everyone left. And when we came back from lunch, uh, there was uh, uh, quite a bit of frenzy in the courtroom where the attorneys went back into a private hallway with Lori. The prosecutors joined them. You know, there was a lot of buzz about what maybe was going to happen. And then arguments were presented to the judge why the uh, why the defendant, why Lori did not want to stay in the courtroom. Her attorneys argued that her mental health was very fragile, as we know, because this case has been delayed so much. But she, um, yeah, she didn't, she didn't want to be there. She didn't want to be there for this extremely difficult thing to see, uh, uh, you know, for everyone. Uh, she didn't want to sit there and look. And, and to be honest, I don't think she did ever look at the screen to see those photos. So I was going to ask you, Leah Satilli, who has been in the courtroom from the very beginning. Leah, I have never seen a defendant's feet chained to the floor was that in front of the jury did the jury see the chains the jury could not so it was pretty interesting um in other cases i've covered you know you hear the the ankle shackles of the defendant being brought in and they kind of clink and and that sort of thing she had some kind of there was some sort of fabric around this chain so it didn't make any noise so essentially she was brought into the courtroom she would go and stand um at the table that the defendant's table and uh, an officer would would affix those that 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 fabric covered chain to a loop on the ground, and then the jury would come in. As far as I know, I don't think that the, the jury could see underneath the table that she was sitting at, so I don't think they could 
see that, that she is chained. You know, certainly her hands are. I find that really unusual, Leah Satilli. They must consider her some sort of a flight risk. Well, it's a murder trial, so I, I don't know. I mean, uh, it, it, it's also Idaho. You know, things are things are a little different there. So um, maybe somebody else would be able to speak to that. Well, it may be different, but they are still governed by the U.S. Constitution, and that includes the case law that has interpreted it. So David Leroy, joining me, high-profile lawyer, joining us uh, out of Idaho, the former Idaho Attorney General and former Lieutenant Governor. David Leroy, thank you for being with us. I've never seen a defendant shackled in any way in front of a jury. In fact, I, as a prosecutor who knew beyond even a shadow of a doubt the defendant was guilty of, let's just say, murder, I would go to great pains to make sure the jury never saw the defendant in shackles, handcuffs, and a jail uniform. Absolutely not, because that could later affect the appeal. I, I think I cared more about it than anybody else in the courtroom because I did not want to fight for a true verdict and then have a reversal on appeal because the jury saw a pair of handcuffs. Well, this is very unusual, even in Idaho, way out here in the West. Look, I don't like people talking like Idaho is some backwater swampland. Idaho... Uh, is no different than any other state in the Union. And Idaho is subject to all of the interpretations of the Constitution that have been upheld by the U.S. Supreme Court. So, This is, Nancy, very unusual. Uh, the defense has the right to have ordinary street clothing for the defendant. They've not uh, apparently chosen to do that here. Uh, the shackles, I don't know whether we're debated between the judge, the prosecution, and the defense, but I wouldn't think that she's particularly a, a flight risk. And so it is unusual, and I have no explanation for why that's being done in this particular case. Well, D David Leroy, let's think this thing through. We already know that she threw a fit when the judge would not let her leave during the trial. And can I tell you something? The judge is right. Because if she had been allowed to leave during the trial, later on appeal, if there is a conviction, she could argue, I missed part of my trial. That's unconstitutional. I have a right to be there for every single thing that happens. And she would be right. Oh, absolutely. She has to absolutely. stay for her trial. Judge Boyce has manifested the excellent control of this courtroom. Our Idaho Criminal Rule 43 gives the defendant both the right and the responsibility to be present at all significant stages of a felony case. So the judge, I agree with you, did the right thing in exercising his sound discretion not to allow her to be removed from the courtroom. That exchange between defendant and lawyer about a piece of evidence, about an objection, about something that comes up in the courtroom takes uh, instance or seconds, and if she's not there, that's an appealable issue. Well, here's another thing, David Leroy. Let's follow this train of thought through to its logical conclusion. We know that cult mom Lori Vallow wants desperately to get out of the courtroom. She doesn't want to see photos of her dead children, burned, buried, entirely uh, reduced to literally a bucket of burned fat. She doesn't want to see that. Well, I would argue she should have thought about that before she had them killed. But that said, can't you just see her making a break for it in the middle of the presentation? And that would lead to a mistrial, uh, a hung jury, uh, a problem, a reversal. So maybe those shackles, which to her benefit, are covered in fabric and obscured from the jury's vision, 
is actually saving her from another trial and from some outburst that she would very likely produce in court. I think it's also uh, important from the prosecution's point of view for the jurors who are having dreadful personal reactions uh, to this horrific evidence to see Lori's reaction to that uh, horrific evidence. Uh, she has been manifesting atypical emotions all the way through this thing from the first appearances on. Uh, to observe her in this context, I think, was probably important for the prosecution. Uh, arguably, I guess the defense could try to make some kind of argument uh, based on that, but uh, it's pretty thin soup. You know, to Leah Satilli joining us, who has been covering the case as it unfolds, is she wearing street clothes or no? She is. She is wearing street clothes. Um, that day, she was wearing sort of a powder pink blouse and, and a pair of trousers. She came back after losing this this uh, fight to be to leave the courtroom with a sweater on that she sort of hugged around her body. So, yeah, she is wearing street clothes, though. Was there any argument between the lawyers in front of the judge regarding her wearing leg shackles? No, I haven't heard it. If, if that happened, it would have happened um, before the trial started. stories with Nancy Grace. Guys, we are talking about the trial of cult mom Lori Vallow, and it's been a long time coming. You know, to Dr. Dana Anderson joining us, forensic psychologist, expert, and you can find her at psychologydoctor.com. Dr. Anderson, thank you for being with us. What do you make of a woman that many, including myself, fully believe orchestrated the murders of her two children as well as the murder of her new husband's last wife, not wanting to, refusing to look at the photos of her dead children's remains. And that's all they are, remains. You know, I've seen this as I interview defendants in custody. They, they do not want to be confronted with the truth, um, especially when they know, so she's created this delusion, this sort of narcissistic delusion, and she's to avoid personal responsibility. Narcissists don't want to be confronted with the truth. They're just going to deny it. They'll gaslight you. They don't want to look at anything that you confront them with because underneath that tightly wound delusion that they've created, they, underneath that, that's, but we don't want to expose who they really are. Because when you break that down underneath there, those emotions that they're compartmentalizing right now, underneath there, there's anger, rage. There's other things they don't want to be revealed. So her escape route is not looking at it and denying that it exists. She's still telling herself like her narcissistic side of herself that um, that this didn't happen. She's just going to deny it and compartmentalize all her emotions. And so to look at it would make her confront what really happened to her children. And she doesn't want to do that. Um, Jackie, let's go to cut 161. Now, this is what cult mom Lori Vallow refuses to look at. Take a listen, 161. She's found buried in a shallow grave 
on Chad Daybell's property. And when I say she's found, what I mean is what was left of Tylee was found. Charred remains. That's what was left of Tylee. You will hear it described as a mass of bone and tissue. That's what was left of this beautiful young woman, the defendant's daughter. You will also hear how Tylee's DNA was recovered on a pickaxe and shovel <coughs> located in a shed on defendant Daybell's property. Okay, straight back to Leah Satelli. That's new evidence to many people that have been watching this case unfold. Tylee's body tissue, her DNA, was found on a pickaxe and a shovel on husband number four, the prophet Chad Daybell's property. Could you explain where that was found? What could you tell us? Yeah, that was that was new information for me to hear, too. Um, it, 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 it sort of was a part of this um you know, amalgam of, of material that we received in the courtroom, which was that this pickaxe had some of Tylee's DNA. And then we were then also presented, obviously, with the photos of what her remains look like. I mean, you said the word remains earlier, and that even seems like a generous term for what we saw. It was just, uh, you know, I've been a journalist for 20 years, and it was one of the most difficult things I've ever seen. It was just, it was horrible to see what, what was the state of, of what was left of Tylee. Um, and I think there's a lot to be unpacked there about, you know, who, who, who could do this? Who, who could, who could reduce a, a, a teenage girl, um, to this sort of state? For those of you that don't know, I will let Rich Robertson, P.I., who has worked tangentially on this case, describe exactly what is a pickaxe. Well, it's a, it's a digging device. It has a, a pointed end on one side and uh, kind of a shovel like uh, uh, on, the, on the other end. So it's, uh, it's used for digging uh, through, through ground and digging holes. And breaking rock. Breaking rock, and on one end, there's the sharp end of a pickaxe where you break up rock and, and dirt and objects that are hard to break apart. And the other end is kind of like a, a mini shovel. And on an object like a pickaxe is this little girl's body tissue. Um, I'll tell you another reason that cult mom Lori Vallow doesn't want to look at the pictures that are going to be displayed in court that are being displayed right now. And so help me, Lord in heaven, I would put those pictures up and I would leave them up the entire time for cult mom Lori Vallow to take a good look at what she had done to her children. Take a listen now to our cut 202. This is Detective Ray Hermosillo from the Rexburg Police I want you to hear how he describes finding Tylee's body. As we began digging, uh, we were on our hands and knees. Um, we started to uncover uh, just burnt flesh, um, charred bone. Um, the, the smell was, uh, again, of a decomposing body. Um, we had to take turns digging because the smell was so bad. We could only dig for a couple minutes. Eventually we uncovered uh, bits and pieces of Tylee, who we assumed was Tylee. Um, 
that had been burned. Uh, there were pieces of bone, like I said, charred, charred flesh. Um, uh, just the best I can describe is just globs of 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 flesh that were falling apart. Globs of flesh that were falling apart. Now that is what is left of Tylee. Globs of flesh that were falling apart. To Leah Satilli, was that flesh that was once the body of this little girl shown to the jury? It was, yeah. What what you could make of it. I mean, it was a sort of a thing I think that would be unrecognizable to, you know, all of you, most all of humanity. You know, you don't quite know what you're looking at and then it's described to you and that sort of settles in that these, you know, masses, as he described, these, these pieces, this bone shards sticking out of the dirt teeth are Tylee. When the jury saw the remains of Tylee, which I've been told was basically a bucket of burned flesh, how did the jury react? They were, uh, it, it, it was hard to tell. I mean, uh, nobody in that courtroom wanted to look at that, you know, obviously, and, and, and they were. Um, I give them credit for that. I did notice one juror uh, got very red in the face and uh, sort of a, a, at a certain point started just sort of looking um, out into the courtroom instead of at the screen, you know, became very, those are those things being up there on the screen became very difficult for everyone to, to you know, keep your eyes on. What were the other jur- jurors doing? They were looking, they were taking notes. Uh, they they were you know I got to say this jury is is pretty um, pretty stoic you know but I, I, it seemed clear to me that they were the reality of this case was setting in um, you know I think that there had been plenty of evidence up to that point that that was clear what what we were hearing about but seeing these photos the photos of Tylee the photos of JJ uh, I think that that you started to hear a lot of sniffles in the courtroom at that point. And, um, and, and I, and I don't know that that was some of the jury, but I, it wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me if it was. We learn more about the remains of this beautiful teen girl, cult mom, Lori Vallow's girl, Tylee. Take a listen to our cut 204 again, Detective Ray Hermosillo, and you are hearing it just as the jury is. Once we removed some of that, uh, Underneath, there was another um, round uh, glob of, and, and sorry for the, that's the best way I can describe it, um, just burnt flesh, bone, all kind of what appeared to be in a, in a, in a, put in a green bucket. Um, the bucket had melted, so it was kind of uh, disformed, and and the flesh and bone and um, was was all kind of stuffed in that melted bucket. David Leroy, high-profile lawyer, joining us from that jurisdiction, Idaho. 
I don't even know if I could stand to look over at Lori Vallow and think. I mean, it's one thing to see a horrific image like this in court, but then to let your mind go to the place where this was done to this little girl, to Tylee. And there sits the mom, cult mom Lori Vallow, who didn't put up one poster, who didn't call and report her missing, who lied about her whereabouts, tried to avoid police, was out in Hawaii having a beach wedding during the search for her children. Uh, and it is husband number five. I got that wrong. I lost count. The prophet Chad Daybell is husband number five. And these children are found, their remains on his property and their DNA on his pickaxe and his shovel. I mean, as soon as the jurors let their mind go there, she's going to be up the creek without a paddle, David. Well, remember, the defense did have the opportunity and exercised it to do an opening statement on day one of the trial evidence. And their theme was that Lori was a kind and loving mother, mother to her children. Uh, the prosecution contrasted that with uh, money, power, and sex had made her a killer. And uh, certainly the opening stage of this trial uh, digs a very deep hole for the defense that wants to present her as a loving mother. It's a tragic uh, situation that is probably going to give these jurors uh, pause for the rest of their life, uh, the evidence that they're seeing. Well, you're right. Take a listen to our cut, 160, that very opening statement. Money, power, and sex. That's what this case is about. The defendant, Lori Vallow Daybell, used money, power, and sex, or the promise of those things, to get what she wanted. What she wanted was money, power, and sex. It didn't matter what obstacle she had to remove to get what she wanted. It didn't matter if the obstacle was a thing or a person. And if it was a person, it didn't matter who. So how do JJ and Tylee, their murders fit into her desire for money, power, and sex. I mean, this is husband number five. How much more sex do you want? But okay, that's just a, you know, neither here nor there. But let's focus on money. Take a listen to our cut 162. This explains it. JJ had also lost his father. And when JJ lost his father, he became even that much more difficult to care for. No longer a second parent to help. Not only that, J.J. also was entitled to Social Security benefits. The defendant didn't want to have to take care of J.J. anymore. She wanted the money. J.J.'s gone. Yeah. Vallow, he's dead. J.J.'s father is dead because he was shot. Right there with Coltman Lori Vallow watching and her brother with the pistol, Alex Cox. So that's what this is about. Money power. What power? Oh, I forgot. Right, Leo Satilli? She was going to be in power at the end of time, and she was going to lead the 144,000 
to heaven. Is that the power she's talking about or some other power? I think so. I think that, that that's exactly it, is that Chad Daybell and Lori Vallow believed that they were the two leaders of the 144,000 prophesied in the book of Revelation, and that it was up to them to determine who was a light spirit, who was a dark spirit. And, uh, you know, those light spirits would then, you know, ascend alongside them, according to their beliefs. But those dark spirits had to be eliminated. And I guess JJ and Tylee were dark spirits. Is that right? So they had to be killed. That's right. That's right. Oh, okay. Well, that explains it all. I'm sure the jury will buy that defense. Um, So in contrast to the picture portrayed by the defense, that she's a loving, caring mom, and that she had an alibi for the time that at least JJ was taken, that alibi, she was three or four doors down in the apartment complex and had no idea what her brother Alex Cox was doing with JJ. I want you to hear this. Dr. Priya Banerjee is with us, forensic pathologist. Uh, you can find her at Anchor Forensic Pathology and on Twitter, autopsy underscore MD. Dr. Priya Banerjee, take a listen to our cut 205. More of what was done to sweet Tylee. We were only able to work a couple minutes before we'd have to get switched out by their detectives. Um, we were able to get down all the way to the bottom of the mass, and what the goal was was try to get to the bottom to be able to lift it onto a tarp or a body bag. Um, as we got down to the bottom, um, there was a partial human skull underneath. Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. Dr. Priya, again, thank you for being with us. What do you make of what you are hearing regarding the state of sweet Tylee's body? What was done to this child? So it's horrific. I mean, I'm, I'm sort of speechless, which is rare. But I'm a mom first, just like a lot of us. And so leaving, I can't leave that aside, but looking at it, you know, professionally, this is one of the worst states of a body described. You know, there's decomposition, there's burning, partial skull, just identifying her as Tylee is going to be difficult. And then trying to piece it together as to what killed her, it's unreal. And You know, I think even an experienced detective or doctor like myself, we try to prepare, you know, when I go to crime scenes or when I used to, like I used to have to be there digging up the bodies, helping um, unearth them layer by layer. You feel prepared, but even this is just horrific. And the smell, it's not like anything anybody can really describe and capture. And You can't even really smell it from the surface, but once you start removing that dirt, it's going to 
really hit you. And I want to juxtapose this testimony against the calm, cool, collected phone calls you were hearing between cult mom Lori Vallow and husband number five, the so-called prophet Chad Daybell. This is what was about to be dug up. And they're chatting so calmly, hoping against hope that cops wouldn't find the bodies. And as a matter of fact, at one point, Chad Daybell takes off in a vehicle and they have to go get him. He knows what they're about to find. Now, we've heard about Tylee's remains. Take a listen now to what we learn about little JJ in our cut 193. I observed uh, the ERT team remove the top layer of soil in that area. Um, as they began removing the top layer of soil, it began to expose three large white rocks. Uh, and at that point, uh, there was a strong odor of, uh, through my training experience, that was a decomposing body. Okay. Is that something you've smelled before? Unfortunately, yes. They scraped away some more soil uh, around that round object, and it began to take the shape of the crown of, it looked like the crown of a head protruding through the dirt. Okay. What action was taken next? Uh, we continued, or they continued to dig around that, what we started to call the burial site, um, and eventually exposed what appeared to be a small body wrapped in black plastic. Uh, at any time, was that plastic cut into? A slit was made in the white plastic, and eventually uh, we were able to see that it looked like brown human hair. You know what's really interesting, and I'm going to throw this to our guests that know this case like the back of their hands. That would be Leah Satilli and Rich Robertson, Arizona-based private investigators of R3 Investigations. Rich, do you notice how he's actually been involved in this case as it relates to Larry and Kate Woodcock, who are uh, JJ's grandparents? Rich, do you notice the difference in the way they treat, they treated the two children? Um, J.J. was basically hermetically sealed. His body was intact. He was still dressed in his PJs and his socks he was wearing the night that he was taken out of Lori Vallow's apartment and killed. While Tylee was gruesomely dismembered, burned, and her flesh left in singed globs and a melted bucket. Joe, I think we can only speculate as to as to why they were different. Uh, uh, based on some of the timeline that's been put together, there's uh, uh, it's pretty clear that uh, Tylee was killed uh, sometime before JJ. Uh, so you know maybe the uh, experience and difficulty of of doing what they did to Tylee um, kind of informed them as to they didn't really want to go through that again. Whoever it was that actually did the act. Uh, so uh, it's it's hard to know. We, we can speculate all day long about that. I thought psychologically, Dr. Dana Anderson, it may indicate 
cult mom's deep hatred for Tylee, who's beginning to say things like, no, mom, and question her father's death. Uh, I guess that would have been husband number two or three, Joseph Ryan, and becoming more and more difficult for cult mom Lori Vallow to control. Her hatred for Tylee ran very deeply. Exactly. Um, yeah, everything revolves around Lori's wants, needs, desires, right? Nobody can really tell her no. Okay. And, you know, come into contact with a teenager or a different opinion, someone that might challenge you, someone that might even say or think you're wrong. That's just definitely a conflict. And someone who's just so high in this narcissistic traits, they can't take any even perceived rejection or they can't handle it. They can't handle their emotions that will come out and they project all the negative emotions in themselves out on that person. And as a way to get rid of those uncomfortable emotions that you might be feeling in response to this, they'll get rid of that person. It is horrifying. Exactly. And to you, Leah Satilli, who's been in the courtroom day in, day out, and this trial is happening right now, and you are hearing testimony as the jury is hearing it. Are the photos of the children's bodies or what's left of them up in the courtroom? And also, what is Colt Mom Lori Vallow doing during this gruesome testimony? Yeah, the, the bodies, yeah, the photos are up. Um, and, and to be clear, I think that part of what makes them so hard to look at is that as Hermesio gives his testimony, we see step by step by step of how they uncovered these bodies, uh, what was left of them. So you see the dirt being removed. Then you see poor JJ's little head sticking up through the dirt. You know, it's, it's a very... Um, it makes it all the more real to to understand this process of, of discovering where these missing children were. You know, the jury is uh, is looking at the photos and the gallery is looking at the photos. The judge is looking at the photos and Lori Vallow is not looking at the photos. And you may wonder. I'm just going to add. Oh, I'm just going to add that as difficult as it is to look at the photos, that's exactly how it's done. This is Dr. Banerjee, sorry. Um, you know, we have to document every layer to make sure that it's a legitimate, ex, you know, unearthing of the body and that we're collecting evidence at every step, right? Photos show the evidence, but this is not like just digging up a bulb in your garden and, and trying to get it done. This is hours of tedious work and making sure, because you don't know going into it, um, what weapon was used? Is there a bullet in the dirt you have to sift? Exactly. And you may be asking yourself, where was caught mom Lori Vallow while her children or what's left of them are buried out at husband number five's property in the pet cemetery? Take a listen to only our cut one Seven two. This is what cult mom Lori Vallow was up to while her children were out there, literally rotting. Listen. I got into the browsing history in the Amazon account, and I saw um, that 
there was browsing for a, a beach wedding dress, um, a, a, a bathing suit, uh, men's large size, I think it was large, um, white linen top and pants, um, and malachite wedding rings. And there were a couple other little odd and end things, I believe, maybe flip-flops or something. Yeah. While our children are out rotting, Tylee's flesh in a bucket. She, called Mom Lori Vallow, is online searching for her wedding dress to her next husband. We have to go because court is resuming. Goodbye, friend.